0: Welcome to AUKUS Amplified from the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons, advancing hip and knee patient care through education, advocacy, research, and outreach.
1: Welcome to the AUKUS Amplified podcast. My name is Sean Patel, and I am the chair of the Digital Health Committee for AUKUS. I'm joined today by my co-host and Digital Health Committee member, Joe Murat from Indianapolis. Hey, Joe. We're coming to you live from the AUKUS annual fall meeting where we are highlighting some of the key papers from the meeting. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Jonathan Shaw and Dr. Jason Davis from Henry Ford in Michigan to present their work titled Oral Dexamethasone Following Total Nearthroplasty, a Double Blind Randomized Control Trial. Their work also received the AUKUS Clinical Research Award for this year's meeting. So congratulations, gentlemen, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. With that, I'll pass things along to Joe to get things started.
2: Sure. Well, I want to congratulate both of you as well on your award, and we wanted to know about the motivations behind your study.
0: Yeah, so as a Henry Ford resident, when you first start, you have to determine a project that you're going to do for the next five years. We call it the Robert Frosta Project, or the our Frost Project is in short. And so when I have done a lot of research with Dr. Davis uh, beforehand, and we sat down kind of figuring out what are the motivations, what are the big projects we can do, and we had yet to do some kind of like double-blinded randomized control trial. It's something that I've wanted to attempt to see if one i could do it and two if it's feasible at henry ford which in our orthopedic department does not do a lot of randomized control trials so when it comes to the dexamethasone part of it it actually came from dr davis so i can have him comment on it
3: it was just from our experience that as things were transitioning to same day true outpatient arthroplasty we realized patients weren't necessarily getting the same multimodal Pain control. Uh, they were missing that post op day one dose. And there is increasing evidence that the additional benefit of the post op day one dose was important. So the thought was is there a precedent out there in other fields, for example, that we can extend that orally? And conveniently, a lot of the talks this year centered around dexamethasone as well. And there's a recent systematic review by AUKUS and ASRA joint guidelines noted that uh, steroid decreases pain and nausea for up to 48 hours. It, uh, multiple doses, increase efficacy, and the size of the effect decreases daily, which brings to light this question, does extending an oral dose further give you additive benefit?
2: Can you describe your protocol when you were
3: having patients admitted overnight versus (laughs) same-day discharge? Uh, essentially, patients were getting one dose of 10 milligrams IV preoperatively upon anesthesia induction, and they were getting it in the morning afterwards, uh, but patients started leaving from initially the floor, the evening of surgery, and eventually PACU. Uh, those patients were missing out on the dose, much like the debate of uh, antibiotics. Most patients get that single preoperative dose, but might be missing that post-operative dose or doses unless you send them with oral. So it's along that same line as how we get our outpatients, similar method of treatment that they're getting inpatient.
2: Okay. And so you constructed a randomized control trial. It takes a lot of work to do it. Have you done one before?
0: Yeah, no, I have never attempted it. I mean, it it would have had to have been in medical school. So it's one of those things where I've always kind of wanted to try it. I've have a good interest in research, and it's kind of the pinnacle of research when it comes to completing something like that. So it was a lot of work obviously, four and a half years worth of work trying to get it organized, IRB approved. Obviously the approval process for something like this is, is pretty strenuous. And then actually getting the contacts in order to do it at our hospital. Contacts at the pharmacy, contacts at the statistician level, and then having basically an army of medical students to contact our patients preoperatively as well as postoperatively to keep them up with the pain journals. Most of our patients being in the older ages, it's very difficult to keep them to do the pain journals and stuff like that. So we had a lot of help calling the patients, having them complete the journals, and keeping up with it. Can you
2: describe in more detail how you blinded the patients, how you set up the study, and what the the cohorts look so
0: the randomization, we used our research statistician at Henry Ford to do the randomization. And then we do have a research assistant, one research assistant for our joint arthroplasty department. And that person was not involved in the project, but she was the one who actually did assign the patients blindly to us preoperatively. Um, and then the pharmacy itself did blinded capsules for the placebo pill as well as the dexamethasone pill so even the capsules themselves were you know similar
2: that's great that takes a lot of engagement from
0: the entire system to blind it to that extent yeah so what did you find so, results-wise, you know, our primary aim was to look at VAS scores post-operatively, and specifically when they were on dexamethasone. We did extend it past seven days post-operatively, but the patients were only on dexamethasone post-op day one through four. So, result-wise, our primary aim being VAS scores, we did see an average statistical decrease with those taking dexamethasone post-op day one and th- through four. If you broke down the pain scores per day on average, post-op day 2, 3, and 4 were statistically lower with the dexamethasone group. And then if you broke it down even further to the time of day that they were statistically decreased, it was actually the morning and the midday that reported decreased pain scores. In any sense of how these patients
2: compared to the old protocol where they would be admitted and have one additional dose?
0: Yeah, I think our exclusion criteria, just to have it IRB-approved, had to be pretty strenuous. So these were ambulatory, total joint arthroplasty patients that were fairly healthy. Sure, so um, probably not fair to
3: compare all well diabetics. To. You can argue some diet-controlled diabetics with a relatively low A1C can tolerate it. I know some of my partners will use half-dose dexamethasone in those cases, but really had very strict criteria on, you know, the straightforward healthy patients. And it's important to note we use a fairly low dose. There's debatable uh, reference literature. Anywhere from 0.1 milligram per kilogram is the threshold between low and intermediate dose. So if your average 80 kilogram patient, the four milligram twice daily dosing that we use gets them that. But for any heavier patient, obviously, we're just below that threshold. So in retrospect, probably would have gone up in the dose. I think there's some opportunities there to look at higher doses up to two to three times that, potentially. For single doses, there was even an RCT that came out in the British Anesthesia Journal looked up to one milligram per kilogram, so that's a 80 to 100 milligram single dose. It gets into somewhat of a gray area as what's well a loading stress dose, what's something that needs to be wound down, like a prednisone dose pack, for example. Uh, so we just wanted to start off with a very safe dose, something that was really a mainstay with our chemotherapy department so a personal experience with that and that's what they're using regularly and has a precedence in sick patients that are immunocompromised so we figured as far as the worry for infection this should be a pretty safe minimum effective dose uh, to try this out on did you have any consideration
1: for using a dose pack that some some practices are using instead of a uh, fixed dose for the few days having them taper down
3: Potentially, it's very appealing because no one necessarily feels comfortable going to extremely high doses right off the bat, but everyone's pretty familiar with the dose pack, so I think there's an opportunity to to look at that.
2: Were there any patients that had any adverse reactions to the dosing
0: scheme? Looking at the actual outcomes that we looked at, right, besides the VAS scores, we looked at difficulty sleeping, which can happen with steroids. We also looked at the amount of opioids they used, and we also looked at just post-operative outcomes, meaning like wound dehiscence, whether or not a prescriber prescribed Keflex or something like that with the wound, and peri-prosthetic joint infections. And all, all across the board, all of our patients were you know, there was no statistical significance. We did have a PGI in this trial within 90 days of the, uh, of the trial, and that was actually with the placebo group. So But it is important to note that we did look at PGI all the way up to September 2022. So in that regards, that's almost a two-year follow-up on uh, these patients taking the dexamethasone. Did you see any issues with hyperglycemia that you noted? That's one of those things where it's well publicized in the IV dexamethasone and it was one of those things that I was thinking about doing, but then it would be pretty hard to convince a patient at home to take their blood glucose level on these healthy people who do not normally take a pinprick to look at their glucose levels. So Yes, there's potential to look at that. And especially if you're going to recruit a patient that is diabetic or pre-diabetic, it's important to look at that. But we did not in this trial. So it was,
1: was one of your exclusion criteria patients who regularly check their home sugars?
0: Uh, I mean, we just looked at... Our exclusion criteria included patients that were under 7.5 A1C. So in that regards, those are patients that are not regularly checking their blood glucose at home.
1: Based on the results of your work, has this changed your practice?
3: Basically, we're using this to piggyback off of the IV dexamethasone literature. Uh, Multiple times over, that preoperative dose has shown benefit. The post-op day one dose has shown benefit. So some form of a post-operative dose makes sense, extending it out further makes sense. Uh, Really just looking at the initial safety profile. Our ear, nose, and throat colleagues uh, use this regularly, particularly our sinus surgeons. So it's used in other facets of surgery. We just need to spend some time to figure out what's the proper dose and duration to see the optimal effect size, if you will. Our study, as you noticed, the VAS was only a one-point difference. You can argue is that clinically relevant, but uh, potentially that may get stretched further with larger cohorts and higher doses, Uh, but that's something that still needs to tease out.
2: Are you going to do any follow-up work to try and figure out the doses or try different dosing schemes?
0: I mean, that's the plan is, right? This being a kind of very strong pilot study it it leaves room for more studies to to kind of move forward knowing optimal dose knowing the optimal patient or the patients that should not get it as well as just continuing to look at their outcomes when they do get it there should be a long-term follow-up on these patients
3: to make sure that this is a safe medication for them particularly in the safe stepwise introduction of any technology or new treatment. You know, this is a baby step in trying this. We've now kind of made this our standard protocol across uh, at least our hospital. So we're going to have more and more experience with that. Uh, Everyone needs to get their comfort level at a low safe dose first, and and then we can look at a higher dose, I think.
1: For our general AUKUS member, do you have a key take-home points that they can use in their current practice before you have your specific dosing additional studies?
0: Yeah, I think... One of the main focus is that as we progress to same-day discharge, total joint arthroplasty, there were a lot of protocols that were in place for people who were staying overnight. And there's a lot of research potential and modification of your protocols that can be had in the near future for these patients as we increase more and more of these patients. They shouldn't have a different post-operative protocol just because they're going home, especially if it's research-based.
1: A little bit of a different topic, but how are you treating antibiotics for the outpatients as well? Are you, are you sending them home on oils similar to the dexamethasone?
3: Some of my partners were initially, I think we've all kind of gone to a single dose. You know, As we know, the World Health Organization is really only Said the preoperative dose is the only thing that's really been proven. Uh, a single preoperative dose gets a lot of joint surgeons a little anxious, but uh, as more and more outpatient surgeons get comfortable with that thought, I think there's going to be more and more comfort with that. So, after yeah, quite a while, we've just done a single preoperative dose.
1: Okay, well, with that, we'll wrap things up, and I'd like to again thank our gentleman here for joining us today and encourage our listeners to stay tuned for our next AUKUS Amplified podcast. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you
0: Thank you for joining us for AUKUS Amplified. Visit AUKUS.org to learn more about how members of the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons educate, advocate, investigate, and perform humanitarian outreach in the field of hip and knee replacement surgery.